Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And we begin with a basic fact of doctrine, and that's the Trinity. God is triune. He's three in one. There's three persons. And you know this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. How can one plus one plus one equal, equal one? In our math, that's three. That's one of the things I can't figure out. But the only person of the Trinity is the whoever became human, whoever became flesh is the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son, never took on human flesh. And so the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, this is all in your outline, says Jesus is, get this now, the brightness, the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person. And if you look at Colossians 2.9, it says, For in him dwells the fullness of the deity, or of the Godhead, in a human body. In him dwells all that God is. All the fullness of God in a human body. And so there, there, there's an essential oneness, an essential unity in the Trinity, in the three persons of the Trinity. And what I'm saying is what you see in Jesus as you read these Gospels, as you read this book, as you read these Gospels, what you see in Jesus Christ is what you see in God the Father. What you see in Jesus, that's who God, the one we call God in heaven is. Christ is equally God, but we call the Father God. And what you see in Jesus, that's what God is like. And there's, there, there's an abundance of people who feel that God is really detached from our pain. He's detached from our joy in life. He's almost a machine who doesn't feel or care. And if, that's, if you were ever under that impression, then Let's look at some scriptures this morning, and we begin in John chapter 2 and verse 14. The Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, approaches the temple at Jerusalem, a house of worship and prayer. And what does he see? He sees merchants selling animals of sacrifice, and there's nothing wrong with that because animal, animal sacrifice was part of the worship that God prescribed. I mean, that was a good thing. That was not a bad thing, but there were, there were merchants who were selling animals for sacrifice to people who couldn't who came a long distance and they were selling them at just outrageous outrageous prices it was dishonest and so you have these merchants selling animals of sacrifice at outrageous prices and a few entrepreneurish people think well hey we can make some money too and so they open blanket stands or blanket shops and gold and silver trinket shops and get this now maybe even um maybe even a shop that sold little solid gold or silver replicas of roman gods in the temple, Jerusalem. And Jesus sees all this. And in John chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he gets angry. He gets really angry. Let me read this. It says, In the temple courts, he found them selling cattle and sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove, drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers. Now listen, he overturned the tables, and to those who sold the doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you, how dare you, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? Is that an unfeeling God? Of course not. I mean, I just, there's emotion there. there there's, there's godly rage there. I'm saying God feels. 
Jesus sent um, 70 of his followers on a training mission one time to preach and teach and heal in towns and villages. And, so, and then those 70 came back after preaching and teaching and healing and all that good stuff. They came back on a high. I mean, they said people believe the good news. I mean, they're telling Jesus all this stuff, man. These guys are so pumped up. All these people believe the good news and walls tumbled down and we drove out demons and we raised the dead and we healed the sick. And Lord, these people are ready. And these 70 were scribes and Pharisees and chief priests. They weren't religious leaders. They were men of simple faith. And Jesus rejoiced at their success. He rejoiced at their victory. In Luke chapter, um, in Luke chapter 10, yeah, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, and it goes on, but Jesus, full of joy, Full of joy. I mean, that's emotion, folks. God feels. I mean, he used men of simple faith in such a way. Is that a detached mechanical God? You know, it's like a team. You know, when, when, when they pull together and there's victory, they rejoice. And how, how the whole community rejoiced when the Tigers were in the World Series. I mean, it's something like that. It's like the mom whose daughter, and I remember this. I wrote this about four years ago, but I remember this distinctly because I heard this on the radio. It's about this mom who, um, she had a daughter with cerebral palsy. And at 30 years old, they, they take the daughter in the wheelchair across the stage and she receives her diploma. And how that mom must have felt at that moment, tears of joy. The Lord feels that tear. He feels that joy. Let's say you walk back to your car from the gravesite and they just lowered your beloved into the ground and it's bittersweet and you ache. And at the same time, you say, thank you, Jesus. Death has no victory. You feel, you feel that victory inside you. And Jesus feels that. He rejoices with you in heaven. How can God be impersonal? A bunch of people heard that Jesus was going to teach on the east shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so what these people did is they got in their boats and they came in droves. I mean, word spread, Jesus is going to teach. And they just, they, you, know, you know what they did? These people just dropped what they were doing. They dropped what they were doing. They got in their boats and they came in droves. And they didn't take any food. They just came. They just, they didn't even think about food. Jesus is teaching and they just came to hear Jesus because these people were starved. I mean, their religious leaders had told them that true religion was offer a sacrifice, pay your tithe, say the right words, go through the motions, go through the liturgies. They never heard about a God that forgave a runaway Jonah and gave him a second chance and he would have given him a third and fourth and endless chances. I mean, they never heard much about Micah, Micah chapter 7, where God says, they didn't hear this, I will take your sins and I'm going to tie a big rock to those sins and I'm going to drown those sins in the depths of the sea. These people were so hungry, they were so hungry. And so Jesus told them about a forgiving God. He told them about an empowering God who will take you beyond your limits. He talked about final victory. He offered these people hope. I mean, they were starved for hope. And so he sees all these starved for hope, starved for truth, people coming at him. And what's going on inside the Son of Man? In Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, now listen to this, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so he began teaching them many things. He had compassion on these people. They were so deceived. They didn't have the joy or the hope that he had to offer. And the point is, he saw these people and he felt. He felt deeply. God feels. That's the whole point. And he gave them the most precious gift you can give anybody, and that's truth. So you don't think God's heart, break, God, God's heart breaks over, um, over people whose church teaches just go through the rituals? You don't think God, God, God's heart breaks over that? You know, just go through the liturgies, just go through the motions. Just do this, do that, who ache for so much more. You don't think God's heart breaks? 
God's heart breaks over Muslim people who are so afraid to die because Allah is so arbitrary. If he happens to be in a good mood the day you die, you go to heaven. If he happens to be in a bad mood, you go to hell. You don't think God's heart breaks over people like that? You know, I think the best is this. Jesus stood in a slight elevation overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And um, Jerusalem was the citadel of the Jewish religion. This is so neat to me. Can you see Jesus? He's standing on this, this hill overlooking Jerusalem, and he sees people going in and out of the temple, doing all their rituals with all their animal, animal sacrifices, coming in and out of that temple, saying, I have done my duty. I've done my duty. Luke 19, 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, what did he do? He wept over it. Jesus cried when he saw all those people doing nothing but going through religious motions. He wept over it, now listen, and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Why did he cry? Because he didn't know it brings peace. <laughs> what brings peace? When you receive God's forgiveness and Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins, that brings peace. These people were lost. And Jesus standing on that hill, crying over lost people, crying over what he knew was going to happen to him. You know, some people believe and teach that God cares just about the saved, his church, his bride, not the unsaved. I want to tell you something. When you see, well, when you see Jesus, you see God the Father in heaven. Jesus, God himself, reveals the heart of the Father, and he weeps over people who will not go to heaven. And he is more broken. I'm, I'm telling you, he is more broken over our, our, our lost family your lost friends, your lost relatives, your lost co-workers. He is more broken over those people because he knows, he knows their end. He's more broken over them than you are. And that's sad than we are. I include myself. Luke 22 verse 44 reads like this. Um, and being in anguish, listen to this, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, there was such depth a feeling in his prayer that he, he, he sweat droplets of blood. I mean, knowing our sins were in his body, feeling, feeling this, this separation from his father because his father was, was pouring his wrath out on his son instead of us. And, and knowing and feeling that separation, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that the cry of some detached, mechanistic, impersonal God? Again, Jesus himself, himself God, reveals the Father. What we see in Jesus we see is true of the Father in heaven. So what's it all mean that God really feels and God really cares? Maybe you're in a blah time of your life, and you're not challenged, and everything is the same old, same old, same old, and you really want something to light your fire, man. You really want something to challenge you. Does it help to know that when you're in this time of life, God knows, God cares, and God feels about what you're going through? Does it help to know that? Or let's say your marriage is a series of hills and valleys. You know, you go up and you go down. And right now you're in a valley. You and your wife or you and your husband both, both get upset at the least little thing. Man, you've got to watch every little thing you say because you know if you say the wrong thing, it's going to set him off, it's going to set her off. And you're nervous about this. You're walking on eggshells. Um, and you, the, the last thing in the world you want is another episode. Uh, does it help that God knows that he knows, that he just, he understands, he lived it. I'm building up to a point, but does it help you that God knows? You know, I'm not sure all of you folks are going to get this, but it is so important for me to know that God knows and cares about and feels what's going on inside me. 
And I hope it means a lot to you and God knows and cares and feels about what's going on inside you. I remember this one lady, if I can give you give an illustration, she, she said to me, um, if, if I didn't have to, if I knew the pain I was going to have when I had this surgery, she said, I never would have had this surgery. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have had it in a million years. And she told me how she called her husband up. I think it was about 3.30 in the morning. And she just called him in tears and she just said, I'm hurting so bad, would you come? And he got up and he came to the hospital and he gave her a hug and he said very little, but he sat there the rest of the night. I think he got there at four o'clock in the morning. He sat there the rest of the night and just held her hand and stroked her hand. And he was just there. And she knew it. And that meant everything. Now, now, now here's what I'm building up to. This is the power of his presence. I guess I'm asking you, is it enough to know that he is there? And he cares. And again, not everybody's going to pick up on this, but is it enough to know that Jesus Christ is there and he feels and he's got, he's got, he, he's there with all that he is. His love, that perfect love, the Bible calls agape. His omnipotence, that's his power, his wisdom. His faithfulness, his promises to take you through anything. His justice to right the wrongs. His everything, his everything. It is, and, and you know what? When you sense the power of his presence, that he feels and cares, that's the power of his presence. You know, you, you, you have no idea what he's going to do with all those, with all that he is, his power, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his justice. You have no idea, but you know, you, you know he's there. You know he's there. With all that going for you, and you leave the rest to him, you just know his presence. To me, that's about as precious as it gets. And when you know God feels and God cares, here's another blessing too, because it builds a friendship with God. And I try and keep a balance in my life. I really want to keep a balance in my life. I want to keep a balance between reverence and awe and, and, and a friendship with Jesus. I don't like this stuff that Jesus, I don't like this being buddy-buddy with Jesus. I don't like that. I, I think that's kind of, Almost, almost demeaning. I mean, there's got to be a balance between, I mean, there, there, there's a, 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 a cavity between a holy God and, and a sinful human being and the fact that God sent his son to bridge that gap. I mean, there's got to be that sense of awe, that, that sense of, that, that gap, that sense of a gap. But there's a bridge, Jesus Christ, so we want to always keep that sense of awe. But I also want to understand that God's my friend too. I've got to keep that balance. Because when God... When the Lord Jesus Christ is my friend, it affects a lot of things. It affects how I pray. And there is a sense of his presence. And when you have a sense of his presence, when you've established a, a, a friendship with God, you're aware of that presence and you know he's there. And your prayers will be rather spontaneous. I mean it. They'll get very personal and very spontaneous. And you'll say stuff like this. You'll say, Lord, I'm scared. Did you ever say, Lord, I'm scared? Or how about this? You'll say, Lord, I need you now. I mean, there's a sense of desperation. I need you right now. And you pray like that, man. I mean, what I'm saying again, there's a power in his presence. You know how often I pray? I pray, Lord, I know what I want to say. I know what I want to do. Restrain me. I pray that a lot, baby. <laughs> I say, restrain me. Restrain me. And when you pray like that, what do you understand? What do you understand when you pray like that? You understand? He's here, right? He is right there. And you understand that, don't you, see? 
Let me tell you where this is going. There's a bunch of churches that make the Christian faith very transactional. It's a transaction. It's almost like you got a form. You got a form, okay? And you sign this form. I, and you fill in your name, will believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior from sin. And you sign it. Be sure and write legibly. And then here's God's part. Bottom half of the sheet. I, God, because so-and-so has believed in my son, I, God, promise to forgive their sins and give them eternal life, and God signs it. And now you got this sealed document. You fold it up, you, you put it in an envelope, and you put it in a, a file somewhere. So transactional. Does anybody know what's behind that transaction? Do you ever see the love, the passion behind that transaction? Do you, folks, do you understand that God has choices? I mean, if that's all it is, wow, I feel for you. If that's all it is, just a transaction. I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. God's given me the gift of eternal life. Hey, folks, do you understand that God had choices, the passion behind that transaction? He could destroy a sinful, rebellious world that offended his holiness, you included, or he could plot the death of his own son and lay our sins on him and save us. God had those choices. And I cannot comprehend a love that would send a son to die for people who didn't love him back. Do you see the love there? I remember the guy I talked to, and I use it as an illustration right here, because he, he was a guy who was divorced, nice-looking guy. He said, this lady called me up. This lady's been coming on him real strong, and she was married, and she called him up and said, hey, my husband's out of town for a few days. Why don't you come over? And he said, all my, he said, all my hormonal juices were all juiced up. He said, I wanted to do this. I really wanted to do this. I, yeah, I wanted so bad to go over there. But he said, he said, I didn't do it. I said, no, I'm not coming over. And please don't call me again. How could he do that? Because he had something inside him that really loved the Lord. There was feeling there. Feeling drove it. I mean, there was a love for the Lord. I mean, when we choose to return... Um, Oh, let's say somebody just, they're ranting and raving at you, man, and, and saying all kind of bad stuff, and they're loud, and you can return it with softer words and kinder words and not return evil for evil. Why do you do that? It's just love. Just pure love. It's, 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 it's feeling. It, it's emotion that's generated in you. It is a felt, a felt response to the love of God. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And the deal here is if God feels we need to feel, if God feels we need to feel, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. He felt the feelings of Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. He had compassion on all those crowds who came to him in droves because they were so starved for truth. He had compassion on these people. And the word for compassion in Greek is the Greek word literally, splachna, and it means your bowels. It means your intestines. Jesus Christ had bowels or intestines for these people. He felt, he had, he had, he felt it down here in his abdomen. He felt compassion for hurting people. And, and that is so precious. Again, the whole principle here is um, if God feels like that, we need to feel. How do, I, how, do I, how do I get that compassion? I want to tell you, compassion is attractive. First of all, I have to dwell on those people. I got to think about their suffering. I do that during prayer. But I, I did not just during prayer because I'm serious. I, 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 I think about I think about what's going on in people's lives I, I think about that and I try and get into their world 
and I listen to them. And I don't just, I try not to just talk to them, just listen to them. I listen to their words. You got to try and listen for their heart. You got to listen for their heart. And, and maybe let them get angry and not preach at them. And say to yourself, if this happened to me, what would I be feeling? I tell you what, people are drawn to, people are drawn to compassionate people. People who feel. You bless people when you feel. And don't worry about what to say because when you feel real compassion for these people, it's going to be obvious. God feels and so should we. The Bible teaches that we should love what God loves and hate what God hates. Let me say that again. I mean, if God feels, so should we. We should love what God loves and hate what God hates. And what does God love? He loves righteousness. And what does God hate? He hates sin. And that's why righteous anger welled up in Jesus Christ when he saw all those merchants in the house of God, in God's house being desecrated. See, when you feel something like that, again, you will hate what God hates and you will love what God hates and love what God loves. And when that happens inside you, what happens? You contend for the truth. Let me say that again. When you love what God loves and hate what God hates, you will contend for the truth. You will be in a group. You will be with your family who's into all this liberal stuff, who's approving all these lies of Satan we've been talking about. And whatever group you happen to be in, you will contend. You will do that. You will contend. You won't sit passively by. Not if you love what God loves and hate what God hates. You'll do it gently. That's First Peter. You'll do it gently, but you'll, you, you, you'll do it firmly. You will say, wait a minute, there's, there's another side to this story. Here's what God's word says, and you won't be ashamed of God's word. And you will contend for the truth. You will say, no, this is wrong. And you will confront sin. You will do it gently, and you will do it firmly in people. But again, that's just that emotion in you. There's something in you that feels a sense of, this is so wrong, and I just can't let this go. You love the people, but you, you, you hate the sin. And there's something that has to deal with that. God feels, and we need to feel. Last comment. Our Lord looked over the city of Jerusalem. A line of tears is coming, coming down his face. That, 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 is, that is so precious to me, to see my Lord standing over Jerusalem. And, and because these people were religious, but they were lost. And why was he crying? He knew their end. And that moved his heart. Folks, I don't think we dwell enough about hell. I don't think you think enough about hell. I think about hell a lot. My witness is driven more by hell than by heaven because I know what it's like. I know what the Bible says. Where that place where there is, it is a place where there is no consolation, there is no comfort, there is no, no encouragement. There is absolutely no hope. And I know this isn't maybe the nicest thing to say because a lot of um, people eliminate this, but it is a place of torture. That's what the Bible says. It is a place of eternal torture, eternal anguish and torture that never, ever ends. And Christ knew that, and that's why he wept. And so many people are, are, are looking at their lost loved ones, and they're saying, well, you know, 10 years ago, they talked about Jesus or supposedly made a confession of faith, maybe with their mouth, not with their heart. See, you can get so transactional, transactional. Okay, Lord, I believe in you. And you sign, you sign the document, and God signs the document, and you stick it, and you, 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 you shove it in a file cabinet somewhere. That's not from the heart. And you think, well, they're saved. They made this confession 10 or 20 years ago. Or they talk about Jesus occasionally. And you see no evidence of salvation. You see no evidence. You see no love for God. You see no love for his people. You see works, but works don't save you. You see, you, you never hear it out of, their word, out of their hearts, out of their mouth, that they lean on God and they're just praying about this thing every day and they're trusting God. And if you don't see that, if you don't hear that, folks, they're going to hell. 
then you're not dealing with that. Eternal torment forever and ever and ever. Amen. And that's what made Jesus cry. Do we weep at lost people? Is anybody here really going to take a book home today and pray about lost people? Is anybody here going to take that 316 effort seriously? And how are you going to begin in your own family with the people you love? Do you really know what's at stake? And here's something else. Do you know the power you have? You know, you have power to pray. God hears and answers every prayer. I mean, do you know the power in the word? I talked earlier about the power in the word, man. When you use the word of God and ultimately speak to those people or summarize what's in that word of God, you know, there is power in that word. There's power in prayer. There's power in that word. And you can break down all those walls. So what are you doing about it? We've seen today that Jesus is God. And what we see in him, we see in the Father in heaven. We've seen that Jesus gets angry, man. He rejoices. He feels compassion. He cries. Three times in the gospel, he cried. He prayed from the depths of his soul. We know that God is not some detached being in the sky who doesn't care. And when, you know, it's, I got to come back to this. It's the power of his presence. When you understand the, just the power of his presence, he's there with all that he is. I know you're here, Lord. And you trust him to work through this whole deal. We've seen that salvation cannot be transactional. We've seen that we need to feel and get angry at what angers God and love what God loves and learn to feel with people and rejoice with people and grieve over sin. So much we're moved to tell them about Christ. And I just pray that these words are a blessing unto you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.